In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Jesus, Word of God, reveal more of yourself to us through your presence in the Bible. Led by the Holy Spirit, guide our time of reflection. May it increase our desire for you in the Scripture and the Sacrament. Amen. As we continue in this new calendar year, we hope that one of your resolutions is to continue to spread the Word about Sunday Setup. We want others to gain the most from their experience of Mass each and every Sunday as well. This Sunday, our readings kick off with a passage from our longtime friend, Isaiah. Our three-verse excerpt from the 49th chapter of the book is quite ambiguous. We have bits and pieces of one of Isaiah's famous servant songs. But who's the servant being described here? It seems, at first glance, that the opening verse makes it quite clear. The Lord said to me, You are my servant, Israel, through whom I show my glory. The servant is Israel. That seems to be clear. Until it becomes as clear as mud later in the passage, when the Lord says that it is too little for you to be my servant, to raise up the tribes of Jacob and restore the survivors of Israel. So now we're confused. If the servant is Israel, how is Israel now its own servant? How is Israel going to restore the survivors of Israel? As with poetry, perhaps we can't get too bogged down in the nitty-gritty of Isaiah's train of thought. Rather, the point is that God is desiring to bring back his people and restore them, and he's setting a servant after his own heart to do that. Although he doesn't call himself a servant of Christ Jesus at the start of the letter, St. Paul does call himself an apostle of Christ Jesus at the beginning of our second reading this weekend. He's writing to some Christians in Corinth, whom you may remember from previous episodes had a lot of issues. Not only was Corinth something like the Las Vegas of Paul's day, But also, the Corinthians had all sorts of infighting, had a member committing incest, and had still others getting drunk at the weekly meal. Paul definitely has his work cut out for him in writing to the Corinthians, but he begins by reminding them that they are called to be holy as those sanctified in Christ Jesus. This is important because throughout the first letter to the Corinthians, Paul will call them to rise above the fray in Corinth to a more virtuous life. Paul also mentions a man named Sosthenes in our excerpt and refers to him as our brother. A number of scholars believe the term Christian probably wasn't all that popular by the time Paul wrote this letter. So instead of referring to Sosthenes as a fellow Christian, since that word really wasn't trending yet, Paul calls Sosthenes our brother. He's emphasizing how all the followers of Christ were made into one gigantic family. This was quite revolutionary at the time, that People of different social classes and walks of life, regardless of upbringing and status, could be considered part of the same family. But that's St. Paul's point, as he's referring to all those everywhere who call upon the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. And speaking of our Lord Jesus Christ, John the Baptist is pointing him out in our gospel passage. John the Baptist saw Jesus coming toward him and said, Behold, the Lamb of God, who takes away the sin of the world. Now, there are no less than three major theories as to what John the Baptist meant when he referred to Jesus as the Lamb of God. Some say that he was calling to mind the words of Isaiah, who in the 53rd chapter of his book describes a suffering servant who willingly accepts death to obtain the forgiveness of sins for others like a lamb led to slaughter. The second theory for what John the Baptist means is that Jesus constitutes the true Passover lamb. Just as the Passover lamb was the central way by which God saved the Israelites from slavery in Egypt, so too will Jesus, as a lamb of God, save people from the ultimate slavery of sin. The third and final theory is that John has in mind the lambs which were frequently sacrificed at the temple to purge and reconcile the Jewish people with God. 
As I say, so often we just can't know which of these three John the Baptist had in mind when he called Jesus the Lamb of God. And it's very possible that he had more than one in mind, if not, maybe even all three. As a final point, some scholars believe that followers of John the Baptist may have had difficulty shifting their allegiance over to Jesus because John the Baptist began preaching prior to Jesus. In a culture with great admiration for elders, seniority meant priority. Think of it a bit like this. Let's say one band made a hit song, and then a few years later, a snot-nosed young band came along and remixed it and made it better. Some might still think that all the praise should go to the first band, right? I mean, after all, they've been around longer. And some believe that's what people were saying about John the Baptist. But John the Baptist counters this line of thinking by saying the following, Man is coming after me who ranks ahead of me because he existed before me. What's John saying? He's acknowledging that, yes, Jesus did come after him in terms of arrival on the scene, but the truth is that this Jesus, as the eternal word, actually existed before John, and therefore he ranks ahead of him after all. So that's it. That's your Sunday setup for this second Sunday in Ordinary Time in Year A. May this knowledge of the story behind the scripture allow you to encounter Jesus Christ in a new way this weekend. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen.